0: Hi, everyone. I'm Emily Newman, and you're listening to If I Made a Podcast, where we talk about what it takes to build your business from the ground up without sacrificing your creativity along the way. Now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining. If I made a podcast today, we're talking about how to double your revenue by adding a new product or service. This is so exciting. Yeah. This is kind of where you got to um, after If I Made started, right? That's right. And I have the lovely Mary McLeod joining with me. Hello. Um, Mary used to be assistant to the blogger when I ran Once Wed, and now she runs all of our email marketing. She's had a varied career for sure. I can do lots of things very resourceful (laughs) it's my best quality (laughs) okay mary i'm gonna start today's podcast with asking you a question okay what's your favorite and least favorite thing about working with me Ooh,
1: my favorite thing is knowing that you're always 15 steps ahead that's also my least favorite thing (laughs) because i feel like i can never catch up (laughs)
0: So yeah, how can you increase your revenue by adding a new product or service? I'm going to share a little backstory about how we've been able to do it at If I made, Obviously, it's going to look different for everyone depending on what type of business they have or what type of business they're wanting to start. So if you caught the last episode about how to test your next big idea... You'll be up to speed. But if you haven't, I would highly suggest going a couple of episodes back. It's going to give you a nice context of what we're talking about. When I mentioned things like insight study and quantitative data and qualitative data, it'll bring you up to speed to where we are now. So where we left off, we had just done a big insight study and it gave me the idea for If I Made. And so where do we go from there? Another lesson I've learned the hard way is you always want to try and repurpose something you have. Ideally, to start off with rather than creating something from scratch. So what does this look like in context of If I Made? Well, at that time, uh, Joy Thigpen and I had put on a workshop called Studio Sessions, which was a styling workshop for wedding stylists and photographers. Um, We had built out the curriculum. It was an in-person workshop. So uh, we didn't have any videos or anything like that because traditionally it had been a workshop that people attend in person. But rather than build something completely from scratch, because once again, although we used the inside study to come up with the idea, we wanted to figure out a way to test it on a really small level. We didn't have a lot of capital to put towards it. So that was another thing we were trying to think through is we don't have all this money and time to build this brand new curriculum to put out into the world. So what can we use that we've already made? So we took studio sessions and reformatted it for online learning. We hired a videographer and filmed the content. Now, it was a shit show. I have to admit, <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out. And Mary was there. So you saw mm-hmm. it was special. It was special. <laughs> it was, it, but you know, it was good. We, we were figuring it out. And that's one of the things that, you know, some people refer to it as a dumb tax. If you've heard that phrase before, when you're starting something out, you just don't know any better. So you're making a lot of mistakes and there's a tax. There's a ta- And that's how, you know. I don't personally use that phrase to describe it, but I think it does kind of. Well, to
1: give you guys credit, you and Joy weren't used to doing something, trying to get it right the first time. You were used to doing in-person workshops. So you knew the curriculum, but it's a lot different teaching hands-on than teaching in front of a camera. So it Mm -hmm. was you had to learn and do it
0: slowly and redo it and redo it again. Well, and really, I feel like the biggest learning curve was on the technical side. You know, we had a lot of experience with photo shoots, working with photographers and video is a whole nother beast. We made the mistake of going into it thinking, oh, we're going to kill this because we know photography so well. That is incorrect. (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole nother world once you've done if
1: you've ever filmed an online course, you know that. There's a it is a lot harder than photographing anything. You have to make sure that everything is in the shot. The angles are done right. Sound and is a whole other. Don't even get me started. Haley's here doing our sound today and you can't even get us started with sound. We've, <laughs> how many iterations of sound have we done over the course of if I made mm-hmm. like 20, 30? Sound is a beast in its own, but.
0: So one of the biggest mistakes we made filming the first go around was we decided because we were trying to do things on the cheap. um, And I'm infamous, infamous for doing this. We stay in cheap Airbnbs. We always try to do things the cheapest possible. So my brilliance and Joy's brilliance was like, okay, we're just going to have one camera there, one videographer, because that's all we need. And doing that with one person on camera is hard enough, but doing it with two people what, what took was supposed to be filming a two-hour video took like nine hours. Yeah, and you guys are used to our online courses now
1: where they're mostly video. This was not that. It was mostly written, and the videos were a supplementary thing, and yet they still took forever. forever. So, but I think a lesson that you can learn is you didn't want to invest all of that money up front mm-hmm. because
0: you didn't know if it was going to work anyway. For sure, for sure. So looking back, you know, one of those things that, it was a hard lesson to learn but there was purpose behind it we were just trying to save money so like mary's point you know for you know because we were trying to keep the budget down we didn't do a ton of video with our first course it was mainly written pdf learning worksheets the advantage we had going into it was a lot of the content was already done it was just a matter of getting it on paper in a visually pleasing way for people to be able to learn so we ended up taking studio sessions, repackaging it, renaming it Wedding Styling 101. And the reason we did that is because when we were initially pitching studio sessions, it was to a group of people who were really who already knew us. They already knew Once Wed. We didn't really have to go out of our way to explain what we were trying to do. With Wedding Styling 101, we were wanting to reach an even larger audience, people that didn't know us. And so studio sessions on it's you know, on paper could mean a lot of different things. And we knew for this to really reach the right people, we needed to repackage it in a way that was very clear and upfront with our titles. So one of the things you may have noticed over the lifetime of If I Made, if you've been following us for a really long time, is we've actually gotten very, very straight to the point with our titles. And the reason is because we've just found that although kind of fun, witty, clever titles I mean, yeah, they're fun. They're more exciting. They're more engaging. It's more difficult for people to know right away what you're selling. And in a world where people are scrolling through their phones, like I mean, I don't know how you scroll through your phone, but I know how I scroll through mine. We want it to be really self-explanatory and clear to people what we're selling. So decided to rename it Wedding Selling 101. So it was very clear to anyone who saw the cover what the course was on. And at that time, this was back in like the heyday of Instagram, where anything you put up, everyone saw it, right? So at that time, we only sent out two emails the entire launch to sell Wedding Styling 101. LOL, that's my dream. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was just a different world. And then we just promoted it on Instagram and promoted it on Once Wed. We we didn't even do webinars back then with that first launch. We were just sharing videos. We were sharing posts. We were sharing content from the course. We were offering, I think at that point, instead of doing webinars, The way we promoted it was we were linking to free articles. We were linking to free downloadables, free training, like video training. And at that point, no one was offering online learning in the wedding industry. So it was kind of like the first big course to be offered to anyone in weddings. And it did really well. We ended up selling, I think, close to 250 units, if I can remember. And it kind of was like that first validation point, that first data point that we needed of, okay, this actually could be an idea that has legs to it. So... How did you take that and kind of build on it, learn from it and
1: continue to build that extra revenue Mm -hmm. for if I may?
0: Yeah. So we were a little scarred from video after that first course. (laughs) And two, we just we didn't really have the budget to do video again, even though the course had done really well. You know, we were using we were having to reinvest back into the business to continue to run the business and create the next curriculum. So we decided to keep it really straightforward. And we wanted to test going a little bit more broad with our audience. You know, Wedding Styling 101 was very niche. It was just for anyone wanting to learn wedding styling. So for our next course, we decided, okay, we have a lot of photographers. Obviously, photography is a huge part of the world that we live in, no matter if you're a floral designer or a stationary designer. You know, visually, you have to be able to create imagery. In today's day and age. So we decided to create a course called Composition One on One, which was a course for anyone wanting to learn about photography, whether you were a professional or a hobbyist, kind of the basic principles of composition and creating imagery. And
1: again, this was still building off of curriculums that you guys have already worked on. Yeah. So you're not spending the time to create something new because, you know, an idea might work once. hmm but let's see if it works again. So it's keeping in mind, let's keep that cost and that um, Mm -hmm. input of time low at the beginning. So you went back and thought, okay, what
0: else can we teach? Yep. And another thing, too, is the majority of people who purchased Wedding Selling One were wedding photographers. So that was our audience was photographers. So we were like, okay, let's let's build on that a little bit. But let's go a little bit more broad. And we actually offered Composition 101 at a lower price point because Wedding Selling 101 was closer to a thousand dollar investment. So, you know, I'm always about testing new things, testing new ideas. So we decided let's try a lower price point course and see whether or not that reaches more people. And this is one of the things that we've learned over time time and it's going to vary industry to industry the type of product you're selling but cheaper always isn't better it always isn't it doesn't necessarily mean that because you sell a course for $99 that you're going to get infinitely more people and although composition 101 did really well it didn't sell significantly more than wedding selling 101 did so for us it was kind of that first data point of you know what i think we actually are better going more niche and narrow in what we're offering rather than trying to reach a really really broad audience. A more of a hobbyist audience, which Composition 101 was, whereas Wedding Styling 101 was geared more towards professionals. Yeah, I think that's a
1: lesson that people can take into their businesses even if you're not selling a product, you know. Value your work at a certain point, realize that if somebody wants it, then they're probably going to pay for it. So
0: Yeah, and bigger always isn't better. Um, and in fact, the advice I often give People who are just starting businesses is rather than take on the entire market, start niche, start narrow, because there is a lot more opportunity there than you really think. We just launched a course earlier this summer with uh, Lindsay Lucas called the Venue Academy. And Lindsay started off as a wedding planner. And over time, she gained notoriety in the industry and kind of built a name for herself as a wedding venue expert because she had worked at so many wedding venues, worked with so many wedding venue owners over her career as a wedding planner. And over time, she became a consultant for vendors, school teachers, firefighters, anyone wanting to build a wedding venue, they would come to Lindsay and she started offering one-on-one consulting services. Well, she got to a point where she couldn't, Take on any more one on one clients, but she wanted to reach more people with this curriculum and make it more accessible to more people. So she created an online course. Now, what is the amount of people in the United States that want to build a wedding menu? Is it the same amount of people that potentially want to become an Instagram influencer? No. But Lindsay has found a lot of success really narrowing in and becoming an expert in a very niche industry. And she's able to charge more because of that, because there isn't as much learning available. So just be keeping these things in mind as you're thinking about your next big idea. Don't feel pressured to have to come up with this like, my idea is going to reach the masses, right? It's all about finding a few loyal people that love what you do. And that are willing to spread the word about it. So there's this principle I like to share, this kind of idea of start niche, start small. And once again, to those people who don't have a large following or, you know, very or very little engagement in the business they're trying to start or the product they're trying to launch. There's this whole idea of a thousand true fans, which came from Wired founder Kevin Kelly. And what he said was, is he said a creator such as an artist, a musician, a photographer, a craftsperson, performer, animator, designer, video maker or author. In other words, anyone producing works of art needs to acquire only one thousand true fans to make a living. You don't need to become famous. If you can get just one thousand people to spend one hundred dollars a year, you can earn a very reasonable living. And I share that with you to give you hope. Right. So that, you know, you don't feel like you're starting out kind of like David and Goliath. You don't have to reach the masses to be successful. In fact, going more niche, going more narrow is actually potentially opens up an opportunity for you to be able to charge more for a product and service than one that does go to the mass market. So, kind of circling back, you know, with composition 101, our approach was let's go a little bit broad and see and go actually less expensive and see if we reach more people. And in fact, what we found it was better for us to stay high end and reach a smaller, you know, a narrower niche because there weren't as many people offering those types of learning opportunities. So kind of from there, Mary, we went to, okay, there's only so many courses we can produce ourselves. And if we really are wanting to create a learning platform, we want to offer learning from people outside of us because we know as creatives, the way that we build, the way that we hone in our own creativity is typically taking a little bit from a lot of different people and making it our own. So the first person we ended up partnering with was uh, Shanna Skidmore on a course called Pricing for Creatives. And the reason we decided to partner with Shanna is we ran another survey with our audience. And, you know, one of the questions we always ask in our survey is, what are you struggling with most? Not what do you need or what do you feel like would help you? It's what are you struggling with most? Because back to an earlier episode, you know, I shared with you, most people can't tell you what they need to solve the issue they have. Most people need more money. That's probably what
1: their initial reaction would be. But that's not the problem. Right. That's everybody's problem. But that's not a specific problem.
0: Yes. What most people are struggling with is I can't be, you know, people won't, clients won't pay my prices. I can't find the right types of clients. I charge for my services, but yet I'm not making any money. How do I get more profit in my business? So all of these struggles around pricing. And for most of us, we didn't go to school for business. We didn't go to school for accounting and bookkeeping and, you know, how to price your services. That's something we've had having to figure out along the way. And that's not always the best, you know, for most of us, that's the only way to go about it. But as you get older and wiser, you realize you always want to decrease the amount of learning curve possible. And so... With Shanna, she was an expert in working with entrepreneurs in small businesses to price their services to where there was always profit at the end of the road. And so we partnered with Shanna to create a course on pricing for creatives. And once again, another thing too, I feel like that sets our courses apart from a traditional pricing course is we're creating our courses with creatives in mind. Creatives learn from a lot of narrative. They learn from a lot of examples. They're visual learners, so. This course was a combination of the written word and video learning as well. That was our first kind of business only course. And it did really well. That's one of the launches that stands out to me of where we got a lot of engagement from the community because it was really the first time as a whole we were talking about this big struggle around pricing and how it was just it's kind of an epidemic in our industry of people underpricing their services. It's still something people struggle with. I feel like it's always the number one thing people feel like they need to help they need help with when we run surveys. Yeah, definitely. It's it's always somebody's
1: underpricing and then ruining the market or Mm -hmm. nobody in my area will pay these costs because people don't know how to educate clients. Mm -hmm. There's a million reasons that pricing is an issue.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a light bulb moment is like time is money. And so making sure you're taking that to account when you're pricing your services or pricing your products. So we launched uh, Pricing for Creatives with Shanna Skidmore. The next course we launched was The Nature of Wedding Floral Design with Sarah Winward. And this was the first course that was kind of a combination of how do you run a business and how do you actually the technique side. So the business side of a craft and the technique side of a craft. And we were back to video at that point.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Video and writing. So, it was Mm -hmm. you know, back to those initial struggles that we worked with in the first couple of courses with the video. So Mm -hmm. that was a whole another learning curve, especially teaching a technique based
0: art yeah. How do you get the angles right? Is it
1: translating well to the viewer? But I think you were willing to make that risk because in the first couple of courses, you were working what you have. Then you were going back to the audience and you were like, OK, what can I solve for you? And then mm-hmm. it was pretty obvious at this point that flowers were such a big like floral designers were such a big makeup of the audience. And mm-hmm. there was no online for sure. learning really for this. So You know, you keep going back to that. What does my audience need? What can I provide for them as a solution? And you, you know, you started small and you're just getting bigger and going broader and, you know, taking more risk as you go. But you're testing smaller things Mm -hmm. one over the other.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we're trying to identify experts in the industry who not only create beautiful work but have a creative process they can teach because that's a big also differentiating factor you can be an incredible artist but not necessarily be able to communicate your creative process and it's really important for us to work with educators who can do both so sarah winward you know obviously she is world renowned in the floral design industry people love her work it's very unique it's very you know nature inspired but she also has a very um She's a good teacher. Yeah. And we knew has that a, she was a, a good teacher. a creative process. Yeah. Um, and she runs her business in a very specific way. That's also something she, she was making money, which is good.
1: <laughs> I know a lot of creative struggle with that. And we wanted yeah. to partner with somebody who we knew could teach students how to do what they love and also make money doing it. So mm-hmm. that was important, too. I'm sure that you probably wouldn't have picked somebody that. For was sure, struggling, which you might not know, but we yeah. knew that she was doing well, that she could teach people how to price mm-hmm. the methods behind it. It's the whole package. And yeah. we remember, we went we went back to pricing. So we had that big mm-hmm. struggle. The biggest pain point was pricing. So we included that and we still do in most of our courses.
0: Yeah, I think a big void that we're f- we are filling in the marketplace and we continue to fill is, you know, making sure we talk about the craft side, which we call the dessert but also the business side, which we call the vegetables. You know, you need both to run a successful business. The vegetables are not glamorous, but the people, you know, if you want to make a livelihood out of your art, you have to be able to run, learn how to run a business. And so all of our, the majority of our courses now offer both. And we intentionally, to Mary's point, partner with experts who can teach both because, you know, for most of us, we're wanting to do what we love. But we have to pay bills. Yeah. So. so think about that when you're thinking about the product or service you want to add, you know,
1: this is the beautiful or unique thing that I can offer. But what is going to be the hook that really gets people mm-hmm. to want to take the next step?
0: Yeah. Invest in themselves. You know, how am I going to justify this investment within myself? So Sarah was kind of our first to Mary's point. Like we went really hard in on the technique. We taught centerpieces, bouquets, installations. It's the first time filming outside. I was in those videos. <laughs> <laughs> Mary's the one that found power for us outside. I did. My resourcefulness kicked in. It's true. So, you know, once again, I feel like, you know, even now, although we've come such a long way and we actually have an incredible in-house video person, Haley, who also does our audio for podcasts, (laughs) we still are learning so much. But back then we were newbie newbies when it came to video. So filming outside is very different from filming inside, especially when it was February and raining the whole time and everything was dead. Not the
1: ideal season to pick flowers. It was, I mean, another made it work. thing, you know, you made it work and yep. you, we did what we had to do to get it done. Mm-hmm. And it was a really successful course, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it w- worked well with Sarah. So yep. I think you just, you're seeing that it's not that Emily just jumped in to, if I made 100% fully produced a course from start to finish and invested all of her money and time into it, it was What do I have in my, we still do this now. What do we have available that we can use or reuse, repackage, teach and build on that over time Mm -hmm. and continue to do that because you really, time is your most valuable asset, especially if you're only working for yourself. Yeah. There's a limited number of hours in the day. So if you've worked really hard on something in the past that you were proud of and you put it out into the world once and then maybe it didn't stick back in the day Try it again and do it in a different way because it might stick this time. I like it. Insights.
0: So, you know, we kept going. Next was Jenny process-driven design. Then we launched Wedding Photography with Eric McVeigh. It's amazing for me to think about that we launched that many courses in that short period of time with such a small team. But we did it. You know, desperation creates innovation. I really believe that. I still experience that sometimes in the business, even today that you reach these tension points. And it really I don't know how everyone else's mind works. But for me, I find it's when that tension point a lot of time is when something is, you know, insights are revealed to me. That's your best ideas. You know, in the crunch time, that's when
1: your brain starts firing on a million different cylinders. Yeah. But we don't want you to get to that point. We want you to think ahead and be able to prepare and Mm -hmm. see, you know, I'm at a great point in my business, hopefully. What can I do to keep it going over the next few years? What can what can I look for and work, you know, by myself? You, you're probably working by yourself. You're not a team of five or six people. What can I do slowly build up, reuse and get ready to do on my own to double the revenue of my business? to Yeah. Create a sustainable life.
0: So at that point, you know, we were going full fledged. And if I made, I was able to hire on a team to kind of run one sweat the day to day for me. I was still involved with like 10 to 15 percent of it. But the majority of my efforts was going to if I made. And that's one of the things that I've just learned about myself over the last, you know, almost 14, 15 years of being an entrepreneur is I like the beginning stages of growing something. I feel like that's where my strengths lie. And so I was back at what I love doing, which was building which is great that's why you've built the team that you've had you're the idea maker for sure yeah well you need the b- other part too so glad I got you guys yeah Um. so we kind of built from that and I just went full head of seam into if I made I like how you can't say that full steam <laughs> full steam ahead <laughs> sorcering <laughs> choppa choppa <laughs> sorcering if you watch if I made webinars <laughs> Every webinar my team likes to point out a word, word that I <laughs> that I butchered. Here some team. examples are Chepa during our floral webinars, sorcering, which is a combination of sourcing <laughs> and ordering. <laughs> so huh. we have good we have fun here. We have fun here. So Went full steam ahead with If I Made, brought on a team to take over once wed. I was still involved, but only with about 10 to 15 percent of the day to day at that point and began hiring people at If I Made to really scale and grow our learning and really make it into a learning platform. So that's an example of, you know, how did I slowly build on an idea with taking the least amount of risk possible. And when I talk about risk, I'm talking about time risk and financial risk. And through that, I was able to essentially double my revenue and be able to focus all of my efforts on if I made. Now, that's going to look a little bit different for everyone, depending on some people want to keep doing what they're doing. They're just looking for an opportunity to create some residual income. So, you know, during those slow seasons, which the majority of wedding vendors have and, and other artists do as well, you know, they can kind of ride those seasons out without going into full panic mode. I feel like most artists have a high and a low season. And so I love the idea of creating residual income in your business because it allows you to be able to navigate through those seasons without the stress that you normally do. So in this episode, we kind of covered, you know, who I brought on, who we partnered with. But during our next episode, I'm going to talk more about the behind the scenes. How did we do it? You know, how do we bring these partners on board? How did we use the limited amount of resources that we did? How do we maximize that, capitalize on that? You know, what are the things that we've learned along the way? Things that we would do differently if we were to do it again. Awesome. I'm excited to talk about all of the tech behind
1: the scenes, Mm -hmm. building email lists, all the video production, video production, all the things that you guys probably don't really think about until you're in it. It's the same with your businesses, all of the overhead costs and all of the how behind actually running a business. Yep. If you go to our show notes today, you'll see that there is a link where you can download a free PDF about how to jumpstart your online course. This is not just for online courses. It's for anybody trying out a new idea. There's an idea validation checklist and idea development worksheet. So just check it out. uh, Try it out and let us know what you think. Thank you. Oh, and we are on Facebook Live a couple times a week. So go to our Facebook and like us and, you know, we'll teach you for free. On the internet. (laughs) Okay, guys. See you next week. Bye. Hi there. Make sure to go to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast so we can keep coming back to you because we want to know that you're listening.